You're listening to the Lawyer Lifestyle Podcast with Chicago attorney Dave Scriven Young. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 247 of the Lawyer Lifestyle Podcast for July 3rd, 2020. My name is Dave Scriven Young, an attorney from Chicago, Illinois, and I'll be your host. This podcast takes you on a daily journey to discover key principles in the areas of marketing, sales, and leadership for attorneys. As we go along on our marketing journey, the one thing that we have to remember is why we got interested in doing this law thing or why we got interested in sort of a passion that we're going to build our personal brand around. And so it's helpful to think about what our origin story is. And so the most important part of your origin story when you tell it for branding purposes is to take people on an emotional journey. So in other words, we want them to feel what you felt, feel the way that you feel, um, and you do that in a number of different ways. And I think the best way to explain it is by taking you on taking you on my own journey. And just so you know, you know I'm doing uh, this challenge with uh, Russell Brunson's uh, funnel hacking group, and I decided it'd be interesting to share with you my origin story as well as give you sort of the process behind it. And, you know, uh, Russell Brunson talks about this as an epiphany bridge script, which essentially means that you're taking, uh, you're taking people on a journey with you and you're hoping that your audience will come to the same epiphany that you did as you went on your journey. So the first question that you want to ask is, what is the backstory that gives the audience a vested interest in your journey? So for me, I think my story begins um, when I was uh, small, right? When I was young, when I was about 10 years old. Um, I grew up in, in a city called Berwyn. It's a, a near west side suburb of Chicago. And, you know, I grew up in, I think what I would ca- call a lower middle class family. Uh, people who had, you know, no connections. I had working class parents. Uh, people who um, uh, wanted me to go to a good school and uh, wanted me to sort of uh, rise above what um, what we were in as a family, right? Um, and I was really eager to do that. Um, I really wanted to do well in school, um, but you know I, I had a lot going against me, right? So the next question is, you know, what is it that you wanted to accomplish uh, in terms of external desires? You know, for me, I had two uh, external desires. One was I wanted to make money because, you know, I was sick and tired of the way that, um, you know, my family had to live. And um, I wanted to get out of the, the town that, that I grew up in. Um, you know, it, not that it's necessarily a bad place. I mean, people still still live there now, but it just, it wasn't where I wanted to live. It's It wasn't where um, I found myself, found my group of people. What is the external struggle that you're dealing with? Well, um, and and I I talked about that, and then then you talk about internal desires. So essentially, why do you want the external desires? You know, for me, I think it was um, I wanted to feel love, I wanted to feel acceptance, um, but I th- also think I wanted to help myself because I felt powerless. You know, if you think about it, if you think about all of the, you know, class struggles um, that people have shown a light on over the past, you know, couple of months, 
it's all be it's all be, between you know the haves and the have nots people you know like uh, working class people they look up and they see folks who maybe inherited a bunch of money and uh, we feel like wow you know they they didn't deserve that money you know they just kind of fell into it you know why should they be uh, any better off than i am but if you really think about it it's true as a whole i mean why do people you know in you know sub-Saharan Africa or you know some place in a you know third world country somewhere why is it fair that they're in that situation and that I'm here you know talking on my cell phone to all of you on this on a podcast so there's a lot of struggles there and so um that was sort of like my internal struggle my internal struggle was I wanted to help myself cuz I felt powerless and I wanted to help other people who were powerless as well so what is the wall? So what was the, the current opportunity that I was in? Well, I didn't really have a vehicle to um, help my, or help to take action in order to get, get to where I wanted to go, to fulfill my internal and my external uh, desires. You know, really, you know, my, not, my parents weren't professionals. We really didn't have professionals in my family. I really had no connections to do that. But I started on a journey uh, to really think about, you know, what I wanted to do. As I mentioned, um, you know, I I did pretty well in school. Luckily, my father coached hockey, um, coached on the hockey team in my high school. So I was able to actually get get into a really good, you know, private high school because my father, you know, coached there. So that was a really great thing. And so I really started, um, you know, on my journey. And then uh, there was a conflict that really, I think, to me, started me on the journey to become a lawyer, and it's because I got hit by a car. Um, so I was, uh, you know, riding my bike, and it was just funny because I think I was in, you know, seventh or eighth grade, and I wanted to. Uh, I used to. I, it was, was such a different time, right? If you think about it, you know, this was many, many years ago. You know, like thirty years ago, and. You know, in the summertime, I think about sort of like what my kids do in the summertime now and what I used to do as a kid. I spent a lot of time on my own outside of the house during the summertime. I used to ride my bike a lot and particularly on my own, although I did have a group of friends and from time to time, you know, I rode bikes with. But I spent a lot of time on my own. Um, I played baseball in the summer and just coincidentally, I think, because I knew where, where everything was, I rode my bike around, you know, these baseball fields. Then I would try to go to on my bike to different places that I knew how to go to, and I knew how to get home. Because as a kid, you never really wanted to be lost, right? And so, you know, coincidentally, you know, this this one day I actually was riding my bike and got a little lost. You know, I was not really sure where I was, and I was crossing this uh, pretty busy street, and you know, it, it it just seemed it seemed fairly normal, right? You know, I'm on my bike, I'm I'm riding it, you know, I'm looking at traffic. It didn't really, there's, you know, look left, I looked right, uh, didn't really see a lot of traffic. I saw, you know, some cars getting ready to turn, but not really in my direction. All of a sudden, I'm, you know, crossing the, the street on my bike, and I am airborne, right? I am up in the air, um, and then I fall to the ground on the other side of the street, I got hit so hard that I actually hit my head on the windshield um, and then popped off. And but because I don't, you know, who knows why, but I, I was very lucky that I actually wasn't um, that hurt. 
And you know what's funny is that in the moment, I actually didn't feel um, sad. What I really felt was terrified. I felt terrified because I felt like I did something wrong, which of course I didn't, right? Um, pedestrians always have the right of way. I think everyone, you know, understands that. And, you know, but I felt like I did something wrong. So I thought, you know, well, I'm going to get in trouble. My parents are going to be really mad. Um, I'm going to get in trouble. Like, what if the cops come? And so I'm really thinking about, you know, just getting on my bike and, and cycling away. I mean, of course, the whole thing is like incredibly dumb because my bike is just, just, you know, destroyed. Um, my, you know, bike pieces everywhere. And so, um, I'm not, that plan isn't going to work. And so, you know, I waited to, um, to have the uh, police officers come. I waited for an ambulance to come, waited for my parents. Um, and so that was really my first, uh, contact with sort of like police officers, first contact with sort of like the legal system because, um, you know, my, as I, as I mentioned, I, I played hockey growing up and, uh, one of the fathers uh, of the team that my brother played on um, was a lawyer. And, you know, he, and he must have done personal injury law or must have known something about it, right? Because, you know, he took my case. I mean, I never actually met the guy in terms of, you know, me being his client. So I don't know if, um, you know, he was just dealing with the insurance company or if he actually filed, had to file a lawsuit. I didn't really have the specifics at the time. But I knew, what I knew in the moment um, is that, you know, I felt so powerless in the moment that I got, you know, in the moment after I got hit and I felt so scared. But then when I felt like I had a lawyer, had someone I could trust on my side, that I felt so much better. And so I really wanted to, uh, I really started on uh, the journey at that point um, to help want to have other people feel that same way. And I thought that becoming a lawyer would help me to um, have that experience, to have to help people to take back their own power. So I created a plan to uh, get that new opportunity. And that was, you know, going to undergrad. I got my um, uh, political science and history degree, a very, you know, typical you know, degrees for, for law students. Um, and then, you know, I, and then I became a lawyer and it was really awesome. I got, you know, I did a summer associate position at a really great firm. Um, and then I started as a lawyer, you know, went to a few different firms and I started to get a little uh, disenchanted with the whole thing. And I'll tell you why. Um, you know, I really felt like in practice, and you, lawyers who are listening to this know this, you know, for sure. Lawsuits take a long time. And they're really costly. I mean, of course, although that's great for us because, um, you know, they're, they pay our legal bills, right? But oftentimes the whole, you know, litigation breaks people's budgets. And it's, and, you know, it's not necessarily through the fall of the lawyer, but, you know, the, here's the, the, the quandary that I think lawyers often get into, and I've, I've felt this way from time to time. It's that, you know, you never know, I guess, you know possibly what a client's damages are, especially if you're the plaintiff, right? If you're the defendant, you're, you're, 
you have a there's a possibility of a number being um of a number being out there but you're not really sure so you know take for example like a personal injury lawsuit you, i think you have some approximation you know if you look at jury reporters and that sort of thing as to how much how, what damages the other side might get but you're not really sure you know with things like punitives and that sort of thing right um and so what i found is is that people you know, either file lawsuits or have a lawyer defend them. Um, and it just goes way over and above what they ever expected in terms of cost, right? And so I really th- started to think about, well, what is the, what is a better way of doing it, right? What's a better way of thinking about it? And all of the, you know, all of these newfangled things have been coming out in terms of the law, things like um, you know, limited scope rep- representation, um, you know, taking, um, you know, flexible fee arrangements, alternative fee arrangements. And I really been thinking about that. And what I really came up with is this, what I term the efficient litigation system. So it's, it really focuses on, you know, communicating and setting guidelines with your client. So in other words, you know, if you know that, um, if it's a contract case or if it's something where the number is fixed in terms of damages and you're defending them, well, then your client probably knows, you know, what that's going to cost them if, you know, if it reaches uh, judgment, right? If if they're found liable, if um, if they're found uh, liable and then it goes to, goes to judgment, okay? So I think you're really able to sit down with your client. And, and by the way, the opposite is true. If you're you know, if you're plan, if you're doing a plaintiff's case, oftentimes you have a good idea or approximation as to how much you might get. But on the other hand, I think that clients have in their mind the amount of money that they what would want to pay in order to uh, achieve that goal. But there's a, a a disconnect, I think, between those two numbers, between sort of that number that the client wants to pay as opposed to what what the um what the final result is going to be right and so what i think what what i've been thinking about a lot is how to marry those two numbers or how to help clients come up with a reasonable budget so they understand how much things are going to cost without cost spiraling out of control and without them you know spending way more than what a lawsuit is worth right and so coming up to coming up with a budget, um, setting a goal, only doing actions, you know, in your in your letter, your engagement letter, um, that fit within that budget, really communicating with clients. That's what I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and you know, what I term that, you know, efficient litigation system. It may not work for all cases, but for a lot of cases, I think something like that um, would actually help a lot. And so that's what I've been thinking about, you know, a ton because, you know, I've seen just so many lawsuits just spiral out of control. And I think it has to do with the fact, a lot has to do with the fact that, yes, you know, sometimes it's a client-driven thing. Like sometimes, you know, clients just just hate the other side. The other side hates you, you know, hates you, hates your attorney. And so, yeah, I mean, things are going to spiral out of control just because it's a personality-driven thing. But I think also... A lot of lawyers don't communicate communicate what they can do, what they can't do, you know, what a what a middle goal should be 
And too many lawyers just go on the, the scorched earth policy because they feel like they have to. Um, they feel like they're going to commit you know, malpractice, for example, if they don't do everything they possibly can, if they don't take every deposition they possibly can. Instead, I believe at the end of the day that um, if you're communicating with the client and you come to an agreement with them, then it makes sense to, to think about you know, more of a limited scope representation, especially if it's a smaller, you know, not bet, bet the company type case. So I, what I would love to hear from you today is sort of like, what, what do you think about that? What do you think about you know, this um, efficient litigation system? Uh, it's maybe it's something that you're already doing, and maybe it's not something that is all that um, and a bag of chips, right? It, it's not so great, um, but it's something that I've just been thinking about over time, and would love to get your two cents on. And so I think I hope that this also has helped you to uh, recognize that you know all of us have a story to tell, and we need to tell that story in our branding. So. If, you know, as I said, you, you're going to build your brand upon um, what you're passionate about. So, and then you want to think about, in order to, in order to be able to sell your personal brand, in order to market your personal brand, people have to get to know you. And part of that is getting to know your origin story. And so I hope that uh, this episode has been able to let you get to know a little bit more about me, get, get, let you get to know a little bit more about what I'm all about, what um, sort of the things that I've been thinking about in terms of litigation practices and in terms of communicating with clients. And I want you to think about, you know, in terms of what your personal brand is, what is your story? What's your origin story? You know, why did you start playing the piano or playing Pokemon cards or selling baseball cards or scrapbooking what is it that sort of got you started in that and what was your journey along the way what were some what were the reasons why you got started what were some of the obstacles that you faced did you take a sharp right turn because you faced an obstacle or you went into the wall right and then how did you come out on the other side did you reach your goal or did you transform yourself along the way those are the questions that that you want to think about and i hope that my story helps you understand why what Russell Brunson um, talks about as story selling is so important. I invite you to join into the discussion. You can leave me a voicemail by going to anchor.fm slash attorney DSY. Hitting that message button, you can leave me a comment for, for me to play on the show or a question for me to answer. You can also leave me a comment or question on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AttorneyDSY. I'm also on LinkedIn on my personal profile. So let me know if you have any comments about this episode. Tell me what you think about this podcast or give me a topic you'd like to hear about. This podcast is on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, and Anchor. So please be sure to subscribe and rate and review. I also want to invite you to the next session of the Lawyer's Emotional Intelligence Book Club, continuing with Dr. Chatterjee's book, The Stress Solution. The next session will be a special date. It'll be Tuesday, July 7th at 7 p.m. Central. You can find out more at facebook.com slash lawyers EQ. Have a great day or night, and remember to fight for the lifestyle that you want and become the rainmaker that you need to be.